Hello, my name is David Martinez. I'm joined today by Phil Gertzen. Today we're going to talk about teaching English abroad and how it can lead you to some really interesting countries. Phil is joining me today to talk about TESOL, to talk about teaching English to speakers of other languages. This is a great way to travel, to see the world. I often talk to students about this, this opportunity. Thank you so much for being here uh, with me today. Uh, you've traveled, you've been around the world. It's my understanding that you got your start with JET. Is that right? Yeah, that's a long time ago. A long yeah. time ago. What is JET? Tell so me. it stands for Japan Exchange and Teaching Program. And I think the strategy was to hire a whole bunch of native speakers of English and then give them almost no training, throw them into a classroom and hope for the best. And this is, but this is years ago. Now there's probably the, some more training I think that, that takes I place. Don't, I don't know that it's changed that much, but you may think well, that's not a successful strategy for changing the English level of an entire country. But if you do it over 30, 40 years, what it does is it forces all the Japanese teachers of English to use English every single day. And so the level actually does go up, but it's kind of in a Japanese way. It's a long game way. Yeah. I am intrigued by this. I tell students about it, even though I don't have that much experience with it, with that. But it is an easier way if you're in the United States, you're not, maybe you haven't traveled a whole lot. It's nice to go to a country with some sort of job or some sort of stability, somebody who's going to at least welcome you, pick you up at the airport maybe, or help you navigate some of the some of the difficulties that you might encounter, like how to, where are you going to live and that sort of thing. Is that what is, was that your experience? That was, it was a great way of getting to know a different country. I'm I'm Canadian, and so it was very different from Canada. I was in my twenties, if I remember correctly, in my twenties, and very little overseas experience. And then, but they did take really good care of us. Like there was no room for things to go sideways because it was organized really, really well. How did you so, hear about, how did you hear? Uh, some recruiter came to the university where I was studying and they still do. They still recruit at universities and, and they're looking for, you know, really good, nice people. They're looking for nice people <laughs> who will represent their country well. I think there's kind of a diplomatic side to it as well. Were you thinking about teaching English abroad at this point or was it? I'd studied Japanese at university, so okay. I, I needed a reason to go to Japan and that was great. Okay, so you weren't thinking about a career necessarily in... No, uh, I, I, I thought um, I, we were married in 1988 and two weeks later we went to Japan. Oh, wow. And, uh, and we both thought it would just be fun. Okay. And that's, I think, you know, we've talked about, a lot about this, but, you know, how people get started in this profession, you end up with, you know, even those who end up with PhDs probably started as, you know, what we call now like a backpack English teacher, which is an English teacher who is just ready to travel anywhere. And this is a good way of getting you there. And, and some it's stuck and they got the credentials, but not everyone starts with the credentials and then goes, they just go and then they get the credentials. Yeah. That's been my experience as well. That was what happened to me as well. Yeah. Uh, but often when I talk to English teachers around the world, same thing, it was a way for some, it's a way to pay off debt for others. It's a way to see the world. Uh, and then, and then you realize how much fun it is and how enjoyable it is and, and what a great experience. And, and so then you, yeah, you come back, you get the credentials and then you get maybe better paying jobs. You get, you know, more stable jobs. Um, yeah, for me, I, I first heard about it. I think I was playing Euchre, which is a, a, a card game that's only played in the Midwest. If you know what Euchre is, congrats. Uh, I was playing online and I pl ended up playing with this English teacher in South Korea. And so we started chatting and, and he was telling me about his experience. That was the first time I'd ever heard of it. 
And then it stuck with me in the back of my mind, oh, this would be amazing. This would be a, a really cool experience. Uh, and fast forward several years, a master's degree where I did a, a kind of a subspecialization in, in, um, in linguistics with a focus on, on TESOL, English um, issues and second language acquisition and so forth. And then I got a certificate through Oxford seminars. And finally, I ended up in, well, it was a, a short stint in Spain, but then I ended up in, in Taiwan teaching English. This is falling in love with it, with the, 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 um, the friendships that you make, you know, the fellow teachers. In Taiwan, you have a, a co-teacher. Is, was, that, was that part of the JET program? Or you, or you by yourself in front of the students? No, they never, they never let you go by yourself. <laughs> so, in fact, that was the beauty of that program is that it, it, it puts you in with the Japanese English teacher. And then a lot of your friendships were with those teachers and then the teacher's room and, you know, the office people and that kind of stuff. And it was really the whole package. Like, it wasn't just... Like I kind of, I kind of, the, the kind of wrong impression I got of teaching in that program was that that teaching was entertainment, because they would laugh at anything, like literally anything. Like I, you don't normally get, I don't normally get compared to movie stars, but in Japan, you know, I, I, I started believing some of those things, and it's not, it's not necessarily good for you. Back in, you know, that that time, we were pretty rare, you know, as as foreigners around the country, and so, um, but you know, English is not English teaching is not just entertainment, but I did fall in love with that, you know, being able to carry a class, being able to work with another teacher, the whole educational, you know, the ethos around education is very much let's use English, let's use education as a, as a means of diplomacy and creating better understanding. I was really, I really bought into that whole time, you nice. know, yeah, big yeah. time. But, but you're yeah. doing lesson plans and you are implementing these plans. Yeah, those are like the necessary details <laughs> that weren't so necessary at that time. But yeah, I, I you know, now I teach people to use lesson plans. Yeah. yeah. But at the time you didn't know how to do that? or I just, I think I just kind of used the same shtick over and over and over but yeah. Yeah, and just modified the jokes because a lot of the time, like sometimes you would go into a, a school and see each class one time. Right. Like there's so few of us um as as you know north americans in japan that there weren't enough that you could teach an entire you know term or semester okay. and follow a curriculum so that's the other mistake i made thinking that was teaching yeah you know basically have the same talk and use it for three years straight with modified jokes that's what i thought teaching was until i you know i went to scotland and went to a real university learned how to you know how to actually teach. This is where your, your master's degree. Yeah, master's in, yeah, that that ended up being in Scotland. And what, what did you get your master's in? Master's was applied linguistics. Applied linguistics, okay. And then, yeah. Were you thinking TESOL the whole time? You're thinking like, how can I teach English? Or were you just- It was really shallow. I was thinking, how can I go back to Japan and make even more money? That's, okay. that's honestly what I was thinking. And somewhere in there, we had, we had a couple of kids in Scotland. We went back to Japan. This is now the 90s, early 90s. And somewhere I was thinking, this is so easy. And I think I kind of heard, you know, people talk about hearing God's voice. I don't think I heard an audible voice, but it was the idea of, you know, this is so easy. Is this really what you're going to do? Like, I know, like I'm, so I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe that God is involved in our lives. And, and I, and I, I really know that he got me through the PhD because I know it didn't quite deserve it. So it kind of showed up in front of me as an unexpected option. So I did it and then I used it to, you know, create the maximum game for myself okay. in Japan, which at the time you could make a lot of money in universities, you know, doing very little work. But I remember standing in a class thinking to myself, I should probably do more, something more meaningful with this than what I'm doing, even though teaching Japanese kids was great, but it, it wasn't really much of a challenge. Did but, you go from your PhD? Did you go, you went back to Japan and then were you teaching at university? Yeah, I you, taught at university. Yeah. University, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At a private university. 
And since then, you've traveled all over the world. You've gone to other places to teach English as well. So how do you make that transition from Japan to somewhere else? Yeah, that kind of doubt that was sown in my mind that I was, it was doubt that I was noble. I think it, I think it was more a confirmation that I was kind of shallow is what, is what the doubt was. But um, it was like, you know, go find a place to actually stretch this a little bit. And so I ended up back in Canada at a private university near Vancouver and ended up directing a TESOL program TESOL teaching as a second language program, a certificate program, which was an undergrad, also an undergraduate minor at the same time. And so we had, oh, we must have seen hundreds and hundreds of people come through that program over the years that I was there. And a lot of those were being sent to foreign countries or not being sent, but going, uh, sending themselves to foreign countries. And I always liked living overseas. And yeah, somewhere around that time, I got involved with yeah, something in North Korea, but maybe that's another story. But you could ask me about that too. Can I ask about North Korea? Yeah, you can ask me. Sure. Yeah, I've, I've got good things. You to say. end up you. I, I want to back up a little bit though, because you're directing this TESOL certificate slash minor. Uh, it's it's because I'm in a similar role. It's kind of hard to send students to other countries because, at least in my experience, I the one I want to go. And here I now I now I my, my role is a little bit reversed in the sense that I am now. I get to talk to students about strategies and ways to get abroad, and and yeah. I get to stay here or I have to stay here, depending on how you on how you view it. Was that hard? It was. Uh, it was really. My wife and I were gone for from North America for ten years, so kind of from early twenties to early thirties, and coming back to Canada was the hardest in cross cultural transition I ever had. And Re reverse culture shock. Yeah, right? yeah, and I was so mad at my own culture like yeah. in the kind of immature way you are in your late twenties, you know, and it was just seeing everything that was wrong. Yeah. And I remember one time actually sitting in church, quite judgmental of all my fellow churchgoers. And the little thought came through my head, you know, that was, you know, if you can put up with all the stuff you put up with overseas, how come you can't put up with your own countrymen? Mm -hmm. And it was like, uh, it was like a pivotal moment thinking I need to be nicer. I need, to, well, I was nice enough. I just wasn't thinking nice thoughts. You know? Yeah. It's not the great space but to be in. Yeah. And you're it's in not a good, service. you know, that kind of anger is not a good space to be in. And I think, yeah. um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I was looking for opportunities to, to go overseas and do something even for the short term. Yeah. The minute I got home, I was absolutely addicted to living overseas and doing things overseas. Yeah. I, I hear that often as well. In my case, I, it's a similar experience. It's, it's hard not to be judgmental sometimes when you've, you've seen other ways of doing things and then you get really, not only do you get frustrated with the way things are done, but you get frustrated how nobody else seems to see or, or, or they're, they're un unable to see how there's a different way of doing things. In my case, I, I listened to a sermon years ago where the pastor um, asked us, you know, is, is this displeasing to God? So I think that's the distinction I, I often try to make when I get into these spaces of like the cynical, you know, ah, oh, what kind of music particularly, you know, what kind of songs are these? And then I hear this voice of, you know, is this displeasing to God or is it displeasing to you? Yeah, that's <laughs> you a really know? good question. And that distinction yeah. often helps me to get out of my, you know, get out of my own head and, and my high horse. Is that the term? Yeah, I, I mean, there's a good reason why we're told not to be judgmental. Right. Because it gets turned back on us, you know. As soon as you're, you know, it's hard... You know, you can't even judge people being judgmental because that's <laughs> judgmental. <laughs> it's better to sit there and understand than it is to sit there and judge. Right. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're directing this diesel and then somehow you end up in North Korea. How do you, so you. It was another accident. I, uh, I met somebody who worked, it was on the board of the Canada side of the organization I work for now. And I just met him in a meeting and then he gave me a call one day and said, do you want to go with us? We're trying to see if 
if do you want to go with us to North Korea? Yeah, yeah. So like, it's like you yeah. want to hey, like you, hey, let's go to let's go go to Starbucks and grab a coffee. And it, it let's was, go to North Korea. It was not more complicated <laughs> than that. It was I'm going in like three weeks. We, you know, can you ask your wife? Can you want because we want we want kind of the academic with us, right? They were they were board members, business people, and uh, and I said, well, sure. And I was just thinking that's another kind of travel, you know, credit for me. Like another notch in my travel gun, you know. And yeah, I could to tell be clear, my, this yeah. is the country of North Korea. It's not like the DMZ. You're not going like you're actually going into the country. Yeah, of North Korea. yeah. Sometimes I have um, people correct me and tell me that's not where I went, <laughs> but it is. It is where I went. Hmm. And to my great surprise, I found out that they were um, very welcoming hmm. and very eager uh, to to participate and cooperate with us in what we had to offer. And I think I was sitting in the airport leaving after the first three days, kind of saw all their universities and schools and got tours of everything and and uh, heard about a lot of things that they wanted. And and I we really couldn't provide any of the things that they that they said they wanted. They were material things, you know, and what kind of things were they? Asking well, they needed for? they needed technology and computers for okay. the for language labs and that kind of stuff. And we don't we don't do that at all. We just provide people. OK. And so but as we were leaving. I had a thought in my head. It's like, well, I wouldn't mind coming back here for a couple of weeks and do some teacher training, teacher development. So I suggested to the the colleague I was, the North Korean colleague I was with, and I said, would you ever want us to come back and do two weeks of teacher development with your English teachers? So the Korean system itself has an English program, like very robust English program. And his eyes lit up and we literally sketched it out on a napkin in the cafeteria of the of the airport, a in, plan or in a, some kind of a comeback. Like, like plan, yeah. Like okay, we'll bring. I'll bring four teachers. Okay, we'll we'll send sixty. Oh, I know the school we could use. Um, yeah, we could probably get this approved. And yeah, I can probably, you know, get this approved and so on. And um, it took a couple of years of back and forth. In the middle, there was a thing everyone's forgotten about, which was SARS, mm-hmm. um, which was like pre-COVID. COVID. Well, we've forgotten about it because something else happened. And something bigger maybe <laughs> happened than that. And uh, but it was like a precursor. And so you know things in Asia shut down that summer. And so we'd planned to go back that summer. So we only got back there in 2004 then and got the warmest welcome ever. Like, and we had no clue, like we had no clue what we were getting into. They had no clue what they were getting to with us, but everybody was eager. And I just found the teaching to be some of the most satisfying teaching I'd ever done because are there any questions And like 30 hands would go up and they were all fellow teachers and all struggling with the same things that every other English teacher struggles with mm-hmm. from classroom management to curriculum they found difficult using and, hmm. and uh, how to keep your class engaged. And it was just regular stuff. And we just did our thing, like what we'd been doing everywhere else, just, you know, a little simpler English. Hmm. And they invited us back many, many times. What was the overall level of English? If you were to compare it to a different country, I mean. Um, it depended. Uh, you know, sometimes your your lower level of English is is um, kind of mitigated by enthusiasm, okay. and that they had enthusiasm, they had enthusiasm and willingness to participate, and anything we tried, they did. So you know, in some other countries, you might say, okay, get into pairs or groups, and you might have to spend twenty minutes explaining it, or forcing them to do it somehow, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking yes, about, right? I they do. just don't want to do it. <laughs> Maybe North Americans are kind of that way sometimes too. <laughs> So, but in, in, uh, in the schools we were in, those teachers said, okay, you know, we want to use this in our class, so we're going to participate. Like they're very kind of meta aware. So they're kind of teaching, you're, you're teaching the teachers of English. In that situation, in we were situation. teaching just, just, they were middle school teachers. It's a while ago now, like 20 years ago. Hmm. But yeah, we were teaching middle school teachers and university professors of English. Okay. 
and you're and you're not just teaching them theory. You're like this. These are the kinds of activities we would do in our class, and then you pretend you're students kind of situation. So they're kind of having to go back and be students again. Yeah. Well, they had two needs. They 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 definitely wanted to hear what was going on in the rest of the English teaching world. So we taught them what we knew, and then they also wanted to improve their own English. So we kind of split it between morning and afternoon. I mean. Maybe your listeners will be bored by our curriculum details. <laughs> but, no, I, I'm interested. I have a lot of questions. I'm too sure about you're it. interested. I have, yeah. But, yeah. Well, the, I mean, as we're talking about TESOL, it's interesting to get into the the what we actually do because you know I often hear students the if I want I want to travel, I want to see the world, and my go to answer is teaching English is a great way to to see the world, and, yeah, it is, and yeah. it's a career and. You know, it's a lot of times when you're traveling, even as a tourist, it's hard to get into the culture and really have that kind of genuine, authentic experience that we all want, right? Uh, but if you're a teacher, you are part of a school with a co-teacher, with administrative assistants, you know, that's been my experience. So it's a great way to to not only travel and see the world, uh, but also get to know people. But then the response I get sometimes is, well, it's kind of seen as a, a not, it's not very exotic. You know, it's like, ah, be a, there's like this idea in their minds or in the imaginary that I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Or I'm in some cases, I had one friend who he, he was just too good. I'm too good for that. You know, like I, if I'm going to, if I'm going to get a job abroad, it's going to be, I don't know, some kind of business organization and that kind of thing. Uh, so I, I think it's good to get into the nitty gritty to, to talk about these opportunities that you had to, to meet teachers in North Korea. What an opportunity. I often tell students, you know, traveling is a great way to, uh, to learn how wrong I am about a country, you know, cause we all have these ideas. I have ideas about North Korea. I've never been to the country. Where do these ideas come from? Yeah. So you, you must've had these same ideas about North Korea. And then now you're in the country and I'm sure you get questions. What was it like? You know, were you afraid? Were you scared? Those kinds of questions. Right. Um, so no, maybe they're yeah. bored, but maybe, I don't know, but this, these are great. No, I mean, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot in what you just said. And I, I remember a student I was teaching in Canada who said to me at the end of the semester, says, really, this is kind of a boring field. <laughs> she's, she's just been a semester with me. Like, how do you feel as a, as her instructor? But then she qualifies. She said, but you got really good stories. Hmm. And, uh, and I think, to me, it's not actually a boring field. Like, helping someone improve their language and understanding their language. To me, if you have that kind of mindset, it's a, it's a really interesting field. Um, maybe it's not you know, geopolitics or, I don't know, medicine or something. But at the same time, where it gets you is nobody can talk, nobody can talk my stories. Hmm. So, um, and I think that's, you know, for someone thinking about the field, it's one thing to just go and be a native speaker or a good English speaker and teach English because that's your qualification. And it's another thing to do that really, really well. Right. And so it's doing it well. That's the piece that makes the stories more interesting. Hmm. And the, in the first case, the stories will be interesting because it'll they'll all be about how dumb you were, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. The mistakes that you made, mistakes early you on. made, or yeah. like the misunderstandings, which are they're good stories. They're fine. I'm not wouldn't discourage right. anybody from doing that. But once you start, you know, if you can do it well and really help them in their system, then you realize you, you you'll never see the impact, the total impact. But you do know that there's teachers having a more satisfying experience teaching in you know in the north of Korea because um, because they're using more fun and engaging tools. And to me, that's incredibly satisfying. But just the stories I alone, alone I have of being there yeah. um, are enough for me to make this like the best job ever. Like I can't imagine, I can't imagine a better job and I can't imagine doing the job I have in a different way than what I've ended up doing. Right, right. I'm getting, you know, near the end of my 
I don't know, the last decade or two decades of my career, let's say. I don't know. you got plenty of time. Though. You go back let's to North Korea say, several times. So. Yeah, I so want to go back. But yeah. you go to North Korea for, what, two to three weeks at a time? Or yeah, a month? well, I yeah, now I'm supervising the groups that go. Okay. And so... Um, and so we have, and you're in charge of the 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 kind of the quality control. Like we're gonna we're gonna send good English teachers. We're gonna, the, the material is gonna for be sure. Good. Yeah, that is actually my job in the whole organization to make sure that we're sending good English teachers. But yeah, yeah, and that's so important because yeah. I think you you do end up in this world in Tucson. And you know this. I've seen we've seen pretty horrendous teachers, ones that don't take it seriously, that are there to, you know, to kind of pass the time, right? And yeah. and enjoy and party and so forth. And I always try to instill a sense of deep responsibility it's, you know, a, it's that, a responsibility yeah so it's, it it's great to hear it's great to hear that that uh that you take that seriously the responsibility know. is related to our faith right like it's connect it's connected doing a good job is connected to what we say we believe because yeah. it's part of honesty honestly i honestly i couldn't agree yeah. more yeah there's there's a there's, another, there's a great book called addicted to mediocrity i think it's called by frankie schaefer and you kind of he goes after Christians, particularly in the art world, you know, because he's talking about how it used to be that Christians were the best artists because they were Christians, and this was kind of a, a deep value. And nowadays, it's it, you know, Christians are just good for the sake Kitch. of being. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it's great to hear you to to uphold those standards. I yeah, we it. should not be the kitsch equivalent, right? As English teachers, we should be the we should be the very best we can. We have, you know, it sounds cliche to say that, but yeah, we should be the best we can be. But a yeah. lot of that is is just. You know, part of it is uh, of being a good professional in this particular field is um, is being committed to people as people. Right. And so that that means you're listening to them, what their problems actually are. And, you know, you can't solve all their problems, but you can listening goes a long way. Yeah. And it's interpersonal. Yeah. It's relational. That's what I like. I'm yeah. very, I, I love talking to people, meeting people. It's one of my favorite things. And so to get to do that in an international context, it's just so much the better. But I have to, I, I, I want to move away from North Korea, but I do have to ask you, what's your go-to answer when people, because you must get this question all the time, like, weren't you scared? Were you afraid? Right? Do you have a go-to answer of like, what was yeah, it like? Yeah, I've got the five, five second, 10 minute, give me, give me the, hour give me the 27 second answer. Uh, I've <laughs> never been afraid there. Uh, I've never, um, you know, apart from, you know, some traffic near, near misses or something, but right. no, I, they, which would happen in other countries as well. It I, more I often happens yeah. more often in other countries. Yeah. Including yeah. my own. Uh -huh. Um, but, um, but I no, I, I have like, I can't tell you that we've never had any problems or misunderstandings that, I mean, I, I won't go on and on about the number of times we've had misunderstandings. There's a, I mean, I'm a Canadian, I think, different than my American neighbors. Sure. Never mind my, you know, North Korean neighbors across the Pacific, you know. So, um, so, but I think both sides have been committed to resolution whenever we've had difficulties. And I, I would say that they've always been open to resolution with problems with us. Hmm. And, and that to me is someone you can work with. And um, they've said that just as openly as I just said it to you. And so... On the one hand, you know, I know why things can be difficult. And on the other hand, I wonder why they're so difficult when you've got people who are, if, if you get, if you show them just a, a minute's kindness and a willingness to listen, why you can't solve some of these problems. But, you know, I'm just an English teacher. Yeah. That's, kind of a that's boring fantastic. job, you know, yeah. with a boring, so. <laughs> in, in, in a boring field that somehow lands you in these pretty amazing places yeah, right? yeah. all over the world, not just North Korea, right? You've taught it. Where else have you taught? Well, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Countries in South, you know. Central Asia, I guess you would say. Yeah. Right. Like Iraq and 
you know, Afghanistan, places like that. Also, wow, you picked the, you, you picked these like classic places I've to given go you to. Like all people the, talk about Southeast Asia, they talk about you know Thailand, or they talk about you know in some cases South America. You're talking about Iraq, Iraq. Where else? You, where else did you yeah, say? Yeah, and Afghanistan. Yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah, but that's that's just so all these all these places. I think the common thread is if you do a good job and you are respectful. Um, it doesn't mean everything's always going to go your way or you're always going to be, quote, safe. Like, people ask, you know, is it safe where you go? Well, no, if you want safety, I think I'm quoting someone else who told me the same story. Like, when we asked him if it was safe, no, it's not actually safe where you're going. If you want safety, you know, go to, like, Switzerland, you know, <laughs> but they don't actually want you there. <laughs> so where we go, they we're really well appreciated, you know, and, um, and you know, you don't have to, you don't have to pander to be, to be, to be liked. You just have to do a good job. So I, I don't feel like I've ever, you know, pandered to a political belief that I don't believe in or, um, or had to say things or do things I, I felt uncomfortable with, or actually I wouldn't say I've, I've probably had to do things I felt uncomfortable with, but I, you know, things that, that are morally questionable right. to get what we're doing. We never have to do that. Just do a good job. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. In my experience teaching English in Spain and in Taiwan and in South Korea, I was in South Korea for for a summer. Yeah, um, just south of you, yeah. uh, maybe around the same time. I was there in two thousand seven, I think. Or I'm sure I was there sometime in two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah, and and likewise, I think um, go with with respect, with a desire to do a good job, and it's going to look different. You know, it's gonna it's going to feel different. Uh, some of our ideas of what it's like to be. I don't, I don't know, um, a teacher or even, you know, even just um, things that we take for granted um, here in the United States, you're not going to, you might not encounter that, but that's why you travel. You know, I often tell students or anybody who wants to travel, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't travel to find the exact same thing you have here. You should go to experience something different, right? And and in that sense, um, it might feel weird at times, but you're going to be okay. Probably. Yeah. We always tell people who are starting with us, like, you're allowed to ask why for three months. Okay. And, and after, after that, after that you... like, stop asking why. Like, you make up your own answer <laughs> and see if it works and stop asking why. Like, and stop trying to say, like, our first inclination is that it's better where we come from. We have no clue what's better. We have no clue right. what works where, really. It can happen the other but, way around, though, because sometimes you can travel and you can realize really quickly that it's better there. And then you get into this. There are tons of things that are better. Know, like I, hospitality in the Middle East, it, they've nailed it. Really? They've nailed it. Yeah. Like the the dinners you get invited to are unbelievable. Yeah. And the laughs you have together, yeah. they're just really good. I try to copy that, actually, in my backyard at home when we have people over. Like, how would they do this in the Middle East? Like, that, I often yeah. think that way. And then, you know, you have way more food. And uh, more laughs, actually, too. Yeah, probably more likely to sit on the floor and yeah. relax. Well, again, it's it's interpersonal. For me, it's yeah. the people that you meet. Every time you travel, it's it. The, you're going to come back telling stories about the people that you meet way more than the the sites that you see and and all that. We've talked a little bit about the the idea around the exotic. You know, it's not a very exotic job, and we've given some responses to that. Do you have a go to answer with this? You know, for this question, like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be an English teacher. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to do that. What would you say to somebody who says that? Yeah, I think you have to ask what it is you want out of your career and your life. And I'm not saying this is the best thing answer to that question. Um, but it's not for those necessarily who want fame or not fortune for sure. There's no mm -hmm. fortune in it. 
maybe a few people. There can be some money. Well, maybe to some be of the made. you know the authors of the textbooks that you you know that you <laughs> use, or not that you use because you're teaching training teachers, but yeah. you know the ones that become popular across uh-huh. you know across the whole planet. Wait, authors of books are making are, are making a lot of money of these like teaching. English? Yeah, you know the interchange series and stuff like that. <laughs> I think those guys are doing pretty good, but <laughs> I don't actually know. Maybe they're not. But in any case, it's not fame and fortune, right? And it is, but there is. Uh, I, I'm not naturally an extrovert either. Like I don't necessarily want kudos from the wider masses. I think if my family think it's cool and a few friends think it's kind of interesting, if you think it's okay, I think it's great. Then I'm, I'm more or less satisfied with the fame part of things. I miss it. You know, I I was talking to somebody, a, a professor here at Fox now who he also taught English abroad. I think he was in Slovenia or Czech Republic or Czech. That's great. And uh, and recently ran into him and and we we're talking about teaching English and I said made some comment about like yeah I kind of miss it I wish we could go back and he said the same thing he's like oh, I I miss it let's let's do it let's go you know and there is uh, I, and I hear that often people who have taught English abroad uh, or spend a year or two years or more I I miss it I really do miss it and sometimes and you know when, I, when I'm having a a rough day here at the office I'll look at what are some English teaching jobs that I could just jump into right now yeah. right. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I say in, in the same way I talk I talk about what else you can do you know through teaching English and we've touched on it some meeting people um, those encounters are are in my view priceless but the mechanics so I, the, the follow up question once you talk them away from this like it's not a very exotic job and they're kind of on board then you get into the mechanics you know what is it what is it like to be in a classroom in a teaching what what are some what has been what some some experiences you've had in the actual classroom you've taught. Uh, I've been in a classroom with 40 students in Taiwan, for instance, and that was really hard. Primarily, my classes have been smaller, like four to five students. What what, have, what are some experiences you've Yeah, had? I've had the same. I've had, you yeah. know, for just because we couldn't help it, like we've had 75 in a class oh, wow. on, at times. But So um, what do you do with 75? How do you possibly uh, Yeah, teach? I probably don't do it again is my answer. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they got, they got exposure yeah. uh, to ideas and, you know, um, a fluent speaker of English for that they otherwise wouldn't have got. Right. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, we, we aim for 12 to 15 and that's who you really, that's what you want. Yeah. Do you do it? So a lot of small so, groups and a lot of like pair up, that kind of thing in our classes. Yeah. Oh, for like, sure. like 75 yeah. students. I would imagine my, for my, when I heard you say that number, I would think right away, maybe you're presenting something or you're talking about some grammar structure, what, what you want them to walk away from, but then it's immediately getting the small groups and speak and, and talk. I, I love, I mean, I'm curious to know. Yeah, except that it was a room built for 50, but yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. but no, I mean, sometimes <laughs> you just do things. I mean, I'll give you the extreme example. But right, the, right. The, you know, we used to start an online division. And so you say online, people go, no, it's like COVID university online. It's not, like we do everything live. You got to talk me off the ledge on that but, one. Yeah, that my, my initial reaction is no. <laughs> everyone's is, everyone's is. But what we do is, um, is we use everything from breakout rooms to online surveys to pair work, group work, all the exact same things you do. And we create a curriculum just for that particular mode of teaching. Okay. And so then you you do have happy people. Like you do have people having fun um, and enjoying their teaching. And they do come back. I might have to see this in person. So the, well, the problem is you got to get them in into the class because they don't want to, like they don't. Right. But there are places where you just simply, you just can't go. You know, and so when right or parts of the world, you mean? Yeah, like like we were in Mongolia, for example. We've had a team in Mongolia for decades, but you know, not in every province. And then we started online um, contract with their government, and we were suddenly in every province. 
online. Okay. So we would never, you know, we couldn't find enough people, like actual humans, to go to all those provinces and and provide that program. There's no way it would never happen. Yeah. Like we can't recruit that many people. Yeah. And yeah. so in those situations, they're super happy. Like we had people sitting in the what is the Mongolian house called a yurt? Is that right? Uh, could be. I don't know. I've never been to Mongolia. It's like the, it's those a... round tents with this. <laughs> Straight walls. That sounds but, right. Yeah. yeah. So they, you know, that's that's what's in the background of the Zoom call. Okay. You know, and you know, and maybe they're outside and there's like animals walking behind them and stuff too. And so, then, but as an English teacher, I'm where am I then? I'm in I'm in the United States. I'm teaching. in like Seattle or something. Yeah. So you yeah. can tell me, I'd like I want to go. To, send me to Mongolia. I want to go to Mongolia. Well, there's also teachers who used to live overseas and they can't because they want to raise their kids here or okay. mom and dad are sick or something. Those people also are eager to teach in that mode because it's that or nothing. Right. So you match up the that or nothings in Mongolia with the that or nothing teachers, and everybody's happy. If you force them because there's a disease going around the world, that's a different story. If everybody wants to be there, it's it can be a pretty good mode. Yeah, that's fair. This is interesting to me. You know, like I I, I love talking about uh, teaching abroad. I understand that again. There's some students who or some people who who view the field from afar, but a lot of times those people have not been a part of the field. You know, there are people who are like from the outside or they've heard stories. And, you know, it, it also the other side of it is people who are, you know, who think about their personality and, you know, and say, I'm not a, I'm not outgoing enough or I'm not. And you mentioned that you're I not outgoing. I was just going to say that. I was just going to because the que- the answer to the question okay, is not very exotic. Well, that's fine because I don't actually need exotic people like a lot of our a lot of teachers, really fine teachers are introverts. Yeah. And imagine they all the introver- stuff that you can do because it's not an exotic job. Right. right? So they actually don't want to be known by the entire world, that they're not aggressive ladder climbers. They want to have 30, 20, 15, 20, 30 people in a class who really appreciate the work that they're doing. It's the perfect field for that. Yeah. And a lot of, like, all I ever said in all the teacher training I ever did was you don't have to be an extrovert, but you don't need to know how to act like one for about 90 minutes <laughs> at a time. And so yeah. that's not a hard thing to do. It tires you out. It tires you out. It is exhausting. But it yeah. actually... Is really satisfying, even for an introvert. It is, and it's rewarding as yeah, well. It it's is really it's, it can be yeah. exhausting. And there is one of the things I like about teaching too is there is an ability to start over. You don't you don't often get this in other careers, in other jobs. You think about a class that you teach, and and you know you don't. I, I often say you don't learn from experience. You learn from reflecting on your experience, and, yeah. and it's the same with teaching. You need to reflect on your teaching. And I always, every time I finish a class, even today when I finished my my course, walking away thinking, what went wrong? What 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 did I do? What happened? You know, there was a mishap with one of the students and what happened? How can I fix that? How can I correct that? And so it's not often that you get that chance. That's those that second chance in other careers with, whereas with teaching, it's kind of expected that you're going to make some mistakes early on. And I remember early when I was teaching early on, I've made mistakes where I was being observed by my, you know, the supervisor, right? Who's kind of like taking you under her wing. And, and I made this massive mistake in front of a class and she was just sitting in the back with her arms crossed and I knew what I'd done. Hmm. I, I, I basically had invented an answer to a question that was asked because I'm the teacher. I'm supposed to know the answer. This is early on in mistakes that you make, you know, and all the students kind of filed out and she just, you know, she's shaking her head, you know, and she goes, don't ever do that again. <laughs> right. So, but, but yeah, I had that chance, you know, it wasn't like I was fired on the spot and you never get a chance to, to be a teacher. I was, and I've never done that again. I've never invented an answer to my knowledge. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, I think I, I learned from that mistake. Um, but yeah, I, it's not, it's not uh, personality. You don't have to be outgoing. I happen to be a little bit more outgoing. So my classes, I had to, uh, you know, I had to um, reel it in a little bit. I came to a realization that 
I felt like my personality was driving the class more than the material. And so I had, I had this kind of like crisis where I was like, are they learning anything or are they just having fun in my class? You know, and you had to like make some adjustments and some changes in that regard. I had a supervisor in Scotland who was watching my class. I was early in my career, so she was assessing me. And she said, well, how, at the end of it, how did you think it went? And I said, oh, I think they had fun. And she said, ah, what's fun got to do with it? <laughs> <You> know, <and laughs> there she can was, be an element of but fun. But she right? was a fun teacher, actually. But she was she was trying to pull me back from that as my criteria for success. And it you do need content. Like, yeah. you need to do things that have outcomes in your class, not just... And laughter is just not the main outcome. Right. But it is it is a like it is fun to have fun, right. and you should. Yeah, like, for sure. the, part, the other part is that your your students are incredibly forgiving. Like if you if you are warm and honest, give them actual feedback. You don't lie to them, but you give them good feedback, delivered in a gentle way. Then they will forgive when you didn't know something. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there are aspects to to the mechanics that we can get into, and and. Uh, you know, or also you can you can just start teaching and figure out what exactly you want to do because there are there's there's an array of teaching you can do after school programs, you can do high school, middle school, you can do university, you can do the kind of in company teaching that I did for years in in Spain where I was going to the Bank of Spain and Repsol and other companies, and you know and sometimes the company is paying for these classes, yeah. and in some cases the students are pulling their own resources and saying I'm going to take my lunch break. And I'm going to pay for this. And so I had one class with 15 students because they were all pulling their resources together. <clears throat> and that made it cheaper for them. In other cases, the Bank of Spain, the bank was subsidizing the English classes. So it was it was smaller classes, four or five students. Um, and so, yeah, you can get in and kind of figure out what works best for your personality. Also, money is a consideration if you want to make more money uh, and so forth. And I, again, it's it's such a great way to travel and, and see the world as a novel by Arthur Phillips years ago called Prague. I think it's just called Prague, even though they end up in Budapest at the beginning. It's a great book to read if you're thinking about traveling. It, it might it might help you out with this kind of wanderlust, you know, um, a way of, yeah, just like traveling and, and figuring things out along the way because, you know, everybody's experience is different as well. And traveling, it, we have ideas of what it is, but it can be very lonely. It can be some of the most lonely some of the most like soul wrenching or I don't know what the word is, but like you're walking around this, you know, this city. Um, maybe you just had a kind of a weird encounter. You don't know what to do with it. You don't have the mechanisms in place that you would normally have to, to support you or in some cases to ignore it. Um, but it can be, but it, on the flip side of that, um, the reflecting on that experience, there can be so much growth and, and, yeah, and just an amazing experience in my view. I don't know if that's been your experience as well as you've traveled around the world. I find planes, airplanes to be a little bit lonely, but yes. we always have people on the other end. There's always teams on the other end that we're going to meet. So mm. that's all I, I find that fun for sure. But yeah. But it can but be lonely. Being away from your family, like your kids are younger than mine. So, yes. but when my, I travel when my kids were smaller and yeah, you're, you, you feel it. They yeah. maybe they feel it more than you do, but yeah. But again, my hope is always that 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 students or people, anybody listening to this, that you'll be encouraged to to take the plunge, travel, go see the world, you know, go teach English. Why not? Give it a shot. It could be something you do for a summer or something you do for a year or maybe it turns into a career. Mm. Yeah. OK, it's time to spin the globe. Let's uh, see where we land. My finger? Your finger. Go for it. Where do we land? Uh, we did land um, in China. China. 
I have okay, so this is a this is a tricky one for me because I lived in Taiwan for two years. So, yeah, so that's part of China. So that's the question that I <laughs> never answer, and I'm certainly not going to answer that question <laughs> on this podcast. Is it a country with a one China, Hong Kong, Macau, that sort of thing? But you have been. So I, I never I never went to mainland China. I never made it, and I, I really wanted to. Um, it just it just happened that that um, we didn't get a chance to go. Do you spend time in China though? Where in China? Um, I've, I think I've probably been all over for very short periods of time, never actually lived there, but many traveled through many, many times. Also teaching English or training, teacher training. Our, or? our teachers work there. So I've visited okay. them okay. in, in, uh, their university placements there and teams there many okay. times. China, the Chinese government has been very, very helpful with us and okay. we've, we've enjoyed a long relationship with them over the years and, um, especially at the university level. Okay. Yeah. So we've we've been to, yeah to parts of interesting parts of China, you know, way up on the Tibetan Plateau and oh nice like that yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. It, that's one of the countries. Even though I've never um, been out to mainland China or taught there, I did look into numerous universities, and that is, I think, a pretty good. It could be a good first job for a lot of for a lot of people thinking about doing TESOL or getting into TESOL. I think that would be uh, from the outside. You could say yes or no. I don't know. You're the expert I would here. I would agree hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, and I like the Chinese people to work with are they're they're, they're very eager learners, and okay. so um, I mean I can't speak to every single one, right? Yeah. But they're but generally speaking, g- generally yeah. speaking, they're appreciative that you that you're there. They they uh, they work hard, studious. So and yeah. they sound like cliches but they the it's it's a good country the food is yeah. fantastic i was gonna say the food is amazing yeah yeah, yeah. and and so many different corners it's kind of like the u.s in the sense that it's very different from one end to the next right we're talking about i don't know um the major cities like beijing or shanghai or you compare that to maybe some of the smaller cities or more rural areas um harbin have you been to harbin china we have people there yeah. So Harbin, yeah. I wanted to live there. I applied for a couple of jobs in Harbin years ago, and and they're famous for their ice sculptures. Yeah, and my wife was a little bit nervous about my desire because my really I wanted to live in Siberia. It's one of my my dreams was to live in Siberia for a year. And in my mind, Harbin became kind of a compromise. Can we go live in Harbin for a couple of years? Because I want to just fly to Calgary and get it out of your system. <laughs> <laughs> but Harbin, so what, yeah, tell me about Harbin. I, I would. Love I have to... not. I actually, have not been there. Oh, yeah, I've not Harbin, been there. Okay. You know. But yeah, people work in UW. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think. Are you looking for teachers? Always looking for teachers. So yeah, we should talk after the podcast. Sounds like you're a prime candidate. I'm us. still. I still think about. There are a lot of things that I didn't do that I that I will always be kind of regrets. I, mean, I have too many of them. So I, you, there's no way I could have done them you all. You have a fair bit of life in front of you. Still, I do. I do. You know. But as you, as you mentioned earlier, I do have small children now. But I we could all go to Harbin. I would love that. Yeah. 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 We have. We had. Uh, we've had large families in in uh, in China. And every country where we work, yeah, including yeah, North Korea. Well, to our listeners, I've never been to Harbin, but you should look into it, and you should go live in Harbin, China. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been a great. I've really enjoyed hearing more about your stories in North Korea, TESOL, uh, teaching English abroad. It's been great to delve deep into this. Um, it's it's near and dear to my heart because I experienced it. I did it, um, and I always encourage students, especially like as a gap year or that may or may not turn into a career, but it's just a great way to see the world, to to um, experience people, and to 
um, yeah, to get to know people in different parts of the world. So it's fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.